You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Good morning, friends. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brenna Rubio, and I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And it is a good Sunday to be together. It's a, yeah, it's a good Sunday to be together, partly because there's there's good stuff happening. Some of us are anticipating some time off this week. Yeah, some people are anticipating a little bit of like sleeping in. Yes, yes, I'm hearing some goodness in that. Um, And then for some of us, it's a good Sunday to be together because there are things happening today or happening in the week ahead that have us going, ooh, right? For some of us, the time that we're gonna spend with family and friends is something we are looking forward to, yay. And for others of us, maybe it's mixed. Maybe there's some feelings of loneliness as we think about the week ahead. And so we're just really glad that we get to be here together this morning. Um, and we get to, we just get to hold all of that. I want to say a special uh, welcome to our friends on Zoom as well and out here on the patio. Um, we're really grateful that we get to pull people together from all of these different spaces uh, in these ways. Well, we do have Kidman happening in just a couple of minutes today. I do want to let everybody know, parents, next week we are not going to have a traditional Kidman. The nursery isn't going to be open because our volunteers need a little bit of time off uh, with the holiday coming up as well. Uh, But we are going to have a special family-friendly service. So I hope that you'll still come and enjoy some things like the youth preparing a skit for us, all that kind of good stuff. Um, But we're really glad just to be here together this morning. I do want to take a, a moment to pray over the kids before they head out. And this morning, we also have our youth are going to head out for a special time as well, those who are in middle school to high school. Uh, but I just want to acknowledge as we go into this prayer time that there are some things that have been um, sad and disturbing this morning in our world as well. Many of you probably woke up uh, to the news reports of violence in Colorado. Um, and today is the Trans Day of Remembrance as well. And so, I want to invite us just to hold a little extra time and space for that as well as we come to prayer. So would you pray with me this morning? God, I I was feeling it uh, in, in a particular way this morning as we were singing those words about your reckless love, this love that um, will knock down walls we'll climb mountains, we'll do anything, we'll chase after the one and leave the 99 where they are. God, that's a love that we need this morning. We need it for ourselves. We need it for our whole community. We need it for our kids, our family members, our friends. God, that's a love we believe in and we want to call out this morning, particularly in light of the tragedy that unfolded in Colorado over the last few hours, and particularly as we remember today, those in the trans community who have lost their lives to violence. God, these are our friends. These are our family members our kids, 
This is us. And you call us all beloved. You name us as yours. And so we're sad, God, and we're angry. And we want to live with your kind of reckless love, God. Would you help us just to love in a way that does create safety, that works against violence and oppression, that particularly wraps our kids up in a cocoon of care and lets them know they are absolutely 100% loved, accepted, affirmed, amazing, they're yours. God, help us love like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Kids and youth, if you want to come over here, exit with your friends who will be leading you today. And would you welcome with me Dottie Olson, who's preaching for us this morning. Oh, um, yeah, let's just, oh, not quite yet. How are we doing? Thumbs up. Good? No, thumbs down. We're, we got a thumbs up. Okay, great. Um, yeah, will you just take a deep breath with me after that? How are we doing? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful that Brenna started our time like that. Um, I'm feeling the heaviness right now. And we're about to talk about how to throw a good party. <laughs> so let's just be together, right, in this morning, because um, it's real. And I think a good party captures all of it. So we have been in this series on how to throw a good party. And it's just a short couple weeks where we've been talking about this. We've chatted about the different elements of a guest, a host, the, the elements that make people feel welcomed, a good party, right? It's so, so fun. And I cannot help but share about the best party I have ever been to. It is one of my earliest childhood memories. Um, and it is a Christmas Eve party that my parents hosted. So I've shared with y'all before, um, my parents met in AA, so much of my childhood was being a part of the AA community and just going to meetings and hosting people and my parents sponsoring people, and it was so, so wonderful. And so as you could imagine, my parents' community was just um, really widespread, really diverse, super fun and eclectic. And every year for Christmas Eve, they knew that there were so many people that needed a place to go. So my parents would say, okay, everyone's welcome. If you don't have a place to go, come on in. If you know someone that doesn't have a place to go, come, come join us. 
So we would literally pack 75 to 100 people in our tiny little mobile home every single Christmas Eve. And it was hysterical. It was so hilarious. People would pack in, people would come in, they'd come to the center. They were a part of our community. They would take over the kitchen. My mom always had gifts for kids coming in. So kids that we met for the first time would have something to open. My mom always set up a craft table for people that needed a social break to just zone out and do crafts. And of course, my dad just rallied the porch crew smoking on the patio. It was brilliant. And of course, there's always hot coffee running. Some of you, like I'm seeing the head nods, you can imagine that this is home for that type of group that didn't have a place to go, that had too many fractured relationships, that felt too hurt and excluded, that didn't have family, didn't have a place where they belonged. This Christmas Eve party was not a cool kids social climbing party, but it is the best party I have ever been to. We didn't have a fancy house, we didn't have fancy food, but yet so many people came and they piled in and spread out throughout the porch with their cigarettes and they felt like they belonged. So amazing. This is the first image I think I've ever, I, I had as a kid of what the kingdom of God looks like. This packed mobile home on Christmas Eve, all are welcome, smoking on the porch and all. Amazing. And as many of us know, sometimes our images of the kingdom of God or our experiences of Christianity don't always feel congruent, right? But I think Jesus has a lot that he lived in his life that points us to some of this crazy Christmas Eve mobile home packed smoking on the porch energy. So let's dive into a story and Rod's going to come up and read for us. Is this mic on? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Definitely old school style. The calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed them. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Great, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. All right, so this story of Jesus in, in, um, in Matthew is just such a great story as we talk about parties or gatherings, right? Jesus is walking along sees Matthew at a tax collector booth and says, follow me. This is so odd because the gospel writers really don't give us that much information. If someone came up to me and said, come follow, it's just odd. Anyway, so Matthew says, sure. And he follows Jesus and they go to Matthew's house and they break bread. 
They have a meal together with tax collectors and sinners, is what it says. And tax collectors signals to us kind of a complicated role, because tax collectors had power, financial power over people, but it was also a power that was often misused. And so when we hear tax collector, we know that Matthew isn't on the in crew. Like, there's a, there's a complicated role of being a tax collector. He might be on the outside or not liked by everyone. And then sinners, I don't know what we necessarily, what sinners necessarily means, but in my head, I'm thinking about misfits, not on the center, right? And Jesus goes to Matthew's home and eats with the tax collectors and sinners. Such a great, great image. And the religious leaders are bothered by this. They're really not a fan, so they, they question it. And Jesus, in response, says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Has anyone heard this verse before? Totally okay if you haven't. Raise your hands. Some. Okay. I have heard this verse so many times, and my initial understanding of Jesus saying, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, has always been, oh, the tax collectors and the sinners are the sick. And that might be true, but I did look up some different interpretations, and it's actually not totally clear who Jesus means. Jesus might be thinking it's actually the religious leaders who are sick, right? Or it might be the tax collectors and the sinners. But when I, when I think about the life of Jesus, Jesus is always leading with humility and openness and curiosity. And so even a statement like this, I don't think Jesus is saying this to be like, poor tax collectors and, and sinners, so sick. I think there's more going on. That it's, it's a statement really about like protecting or um, pushing against the narratives that the religious leaders had. He's flipping the script in some way, as Jesus often does in these stories. And what this story is symboling is Jesus is saying, this might upset you, but this is actually what is good. He says, but go and learn what this means. So Jesus is saying, hey, this is where it's at. Like, this is what is good. Go and learn about this, about breaking bread with the tax collectors and sinners. It's just, yeah, this story is so incredible because Jesus once again is pushing against what the religious leaders want and reimagining and reclaiming where people on the outside feel like they belong. It's hard to have superiority when we're breaking bread with one another, right? There's something that's really humanizing when we share a meal. There's a mutual exchange, and that's what we see here with Jesus. And this story in Matthew, so, it mirrors so much of the image of the kingdom of God that I grew up with. It mirrors this inclusive, warm, welcome. Anyone is welcome here. And not only do you get to come in these doors, you get to be at the center. You belong. You're not on the outside. Come and bring yourself. It reminds me of the packed mobile home with people on the porch smoking. 
Now, as I grew up, I grew up Christian, and as I experienced Christianity throughout my life, so much of the experiences I had with Christianity felt really incongruent from this image of the kingdom of God I had, and incongruent from the story of Jesus where all are welcome. I was experiencing and some of you have experienced this too, I was experiencing an exclusivity that felt really problematic. It was the all are welcome, but (laughs) leave this at at the door. We don't want that piece of you. Or it was a social climbing, a cool kids club. And I saw that some of the people that I loved, I loved sitting at the table with, I loved learning from, that were leaders in my life weren't cool enough to sit at that table. And that's Christianity? It was really concerning. Or sometimes I saw in Christian circles, oh, oh, well, they can come in and look at us. Look at how great we are that the sinners are at our table. There was a narcissism, right? There's, it, it just ranged. My experiences were either it's so exclusive, there's social climbing, or there's narcissism. But either way, I became so disillusioned to what I was experiencing in Christianity because the images that I had of this warm welcome of the kingdom of God being so inclusive where everyone feels like they can belong were not matching up to the experiences I had of Christianity. And, and it was this like very thing that was the crux of what catapulted me into tearing it down. <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. I don't want to be a part of this. It's nasty. I don't love it. And then I went to Boston. I moved to Boston several years ago, and it was a coming home party for my soul. I experienced um, at my grad school, I purposely chose a grad school because it was not the cool kids club and I loved it for that. It was very queer and eclectic and liberated. And I saw Christians that were seasoned generations of doing this really beautiful, colorful, warm welcome and feeling confident and liberated in it. And then I got to experience through my church being a part of a faith community that was really, really diverse and eclectic and Like I got to learn how to be a guest in different people's homes. And all of these experiences really, really taught me about what it meant to be Christian communities, embracing this warm and inclusive welcome. And it helped me rebuild and reimagine. And as I've reflected, I've realized gatherings have been such a huge part of my faith story. Gatherings have been the place where I've experienced most hurt, pain, vulnerability, exclusion, and gatherings have also been the place I've experienced most healing, reclaiming, and reimagination. So much happens in gatherings. Willie uh, Jennings, who is a scholar that's uh, really big on understanding the role of Western education. He, he's interrogated whiteness and colonialism, and it's just a leading thought, um, someone that's leading in thoughts about how do, we, how do we reimagine things. He says, what would it mean if we bring belonging back into the very heart of what we do? 
Belonging is at the heart of it all. Belonging is at the heart of this story with Jesus. Jesus is saying like, no, these people belong. We belong together. We're breaking bread together. The packed mobile home on Christmas Eve with people smoking on the porch is a place of belonging. Many of you are here in this community because you have felt like you haven't belonged or your people haven't belonged. I've felt that. We've all felt that. Belonging is where we get to reimagine and reclaim. Some of you have have really felt shaken up with your belief system. The popular word for it right now is deconstruction, right? Some of you have no idea what you believe. I'm not rushing you to believe anything, but I think belonging is a huge piece of our community where we reclaim. This is where we rebuild, is we are defining who belongs. Being here in this eclectic group, we are defining who belongs. And I think we're gonna find a lot of healing and joy and hope in this, in this reimagination of belonging. Okay, so before I go any further, and you've heard plenty from me, I would love to invite up Ming as someone that is so great at gathering folks, and we'll just, we just wanna hear more from you, Ming. So welcome, Ming. All right. How you doing? Hi, yeah. Where do you want to stand? This is good. Okay. Great. Okay. Hi, Ming. Should I use this one? Okay. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, how long you ha have you been at City Church, and what brought you here? Um, so I've been here for over a year, maybe like a year and three months. And um, what brought me here was the church that I was attending with my kids and their dad, my now ex, for um, like eight years suddenly turned the church ship of pretty much unilaterally from the from the leadership uh, against affirmation of LGBTQ Christians and seekers, you know, and um, and for me as somebody who's always been an outspoken ally, it was a real shock. And um, I at that point, I think I only had one friend who wasn't even out in the church, but she had come out to me and um, yeah. But I just I knew there were many more who were now, you know, not didn't feel safe coming out at church anymore. And they a lot of them left. In fact, I think every single person <laughs> left who did not fit that paradigm, you know, that they had to be second class citizens in the church where there's yeah. absolutely no hierarchy in a real church. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for sharing yeah. that. OK, so you touched on this a little bit, but where have you felt like your experiences of Christianity were not matching your understanding of hospitality? Where have you felt hindered in expressing your full self? OK, so. Um, I left my church um, like a year ago in May, and then a month later, uh, I left or I divorced or started the divorce process for my now ex-husband. And um, you know, it's weird because I I feel like the church leaving was a divorce in its own right. You know, it was very painful. It was uh, you know, those were all of the church Christian family that I knew for eight years. Um, and you know i was really involved in the leadership there um, i led a prison ministry for five years in that church and so um you know 
I was in part of part of what happened was leaving that life that where all these beliefs did not match my own, then gave me the courage to examine this, you know, marriage that had been really painful for like 12 years uh, that we were married. Uh, you know, partly the reason it was painful is because, um, so my ex's family uh, has a very long conservative Christian tradition mm -hmm. and his parents are, um, you know, very prominent in a certain, uh, Christian University in Orange County. So, um, you know, the way that I experienced uh, just trying to assimilate into this white conservative Christian family was difficult, you know, for me as an Asian woman uh, who also has very liberal beliefs. <laughs> so um, I felt like I really had to um, just, pull back a lot on who I was in order to um, because I had I moved from uh, basically the Midwest that was where I grew up I was going to um, school in New York for uh, my MBA program for the first year then I in the middle of it I moved out here and finished my MBA here and um, that's you know at the point that we got married um, but you know i had no family here so i'm basically you know my family here mm -hmm. in in los angeles is all my friends like my friends at church my friends from outside of church yeah 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 thank you for sharing and i and what i've heard you say is that assimilation to this to this and abandoning yourself was keeping you from being your full self and part of your full self is expressing hospitality right yeah 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 and actually um so for me, I guess all those years that I tried to fit into this family, um, I worked really hard because I don't like to uh, quit. <laughs> like if I if something's not working out, and so that's why I tried for twelve years to not only save a marriage that was just unsavable, but also to try to um, fit into this family. <clears throat> I remember one of the early Christmases when I didn't know how different we were. You know. Um, so when I was growing up in my Chinese family, every so often we would make a huge mountain of food, like all of the relatives would come over and we'd make this huge, like I'm talking like an actual mountain, you know? <laughs> but it would be like two or three piles on the counter that are about this big of like, you know, Asian steamed, you know, buns with filling and, you know, stuff like that, like the Chinese tamales kind of thing, which is like, you know, sticky rice and bamboo leaves. but. So I was used to this idea of people gathering and making huge mountains and then distributing it among the family members. Um, and so I, I just innocently suggested, hey, how about this Christmas we make like 300 tamales? I think that's probably about right, you know? <laughs> the look on people's faces was like, as if I had taken out the slug and was like, here, can we eat this? <laughs> I was just like, this look of like 300, <laughs> like what? You know, we're supposed to be resting for Christmas and you know, tamales are like three like they I couldn't even talk about the mountain of food because it, it obviously was not going to fit in their family structure yeah and um so I actually pulled back on so much of who I was in these 12 years it's, it's kind of crazy because like you know and now in a year ago um, when I started the divorce process I started to really live into who I am and you know before I felt like I couldn't even invite friends and um, people over to my house because it would stress out my now ex too much, you know, like to him, family meant his family of origin, 
not even my family of origin, it was just his family of origin and his relatives. So for me, family always just meant, you know, whoever I loved. And I love many people and I love yeah. very deeply and passionately and I don't hold anything back. So like, you know, I mean, I could even meet somebody and talk to them for like half an hour and that they already know me fully because that's just how I live. So I love that. That's yeah. so beautiful. And it's so evident with people that are around you that that this feeling of hospitality and like welcome and helping people belong is such an extension of yourself. Can you share more about, um, yeah, what, how do you understand hospitality as a part of yourself? And you've talked about to me the different facets and it being just an extension of who you are. Yeah. So, um, I feel like, uh, for me, hospitality is not an action that we do. You know, it's not like this something on our agenda for me it's really just a way of being um because i guess i i always try to be my real self nowadays you know after having tried to hide and stuff down all the parts of me that are like bursting out of the seams you know so i one thing you'll know about me is i i'm a very extroverted person and i love people like i always try to go to bill's potlucks because i just <laughs> I, i'm like what there's more people than me you know so um so yeah i think uh I just, the way that I move through the world, I guess, is just to be as open and authentic as possible. Um, because I guess I, you know, I often think, and actually I didn't talk to you about this earlier, Dottie, but um, I think one of the biggest reasons why I, I am the way I am is because I do think about the fact that uh, we don't know when our last day is. And um, so every day is basically my last day. <laughs> you know, like I would be okay if this was my last day today. Mm -hmm because my kids know that I love them. I always like, every second I'm moving through the house, I'm like picking one up or like squeezing their head or whatever, <laughs> something silly. Mm. But, um, you know, I feel like because we really don't know how long we have on this earth, you know, like I, I don't want my days to be filled with nobody knowing who I really was and me not knowing them on a deeper level. Mm. Um, I, so I just feel like every day is so precious. Mm. I mean, you guys have no idea. My my marriage was really like a jail you know like it, i could not and i thought that i was basically relegated there for life because that's what the church teaches you know like no matter how bad or um you know life draining your marriage is that you're just stuck you know if you want to be faithful to god so yeah um, oh yeah there's so much there and so much we could keep talking about and i'm gonna shift us a little bit to talk about like what is your hope for our community with um the art of hospitality and and or gathering like what do you hope for for our community to experience um i don't know i just i i guess i hope that well i think it's already happening that people feel like they can be themselves you know um i don't i guess i don't experience a lot of mask wearing here um and maybe because people have been forced to put on some kind of mask you know in in other situations in their life and a lot of times even at work you know um <clears throat> so yeah I, I guess i i just hope that people continue to feel like they can be themselves and to um to you know engage with others one-on-one -on -one because i feel like that's what hospitality is to me it's you know mm. um inviting others into your life and opening the door wide and saying like this is actually you know this is who i am and what i care about and caring about other people who do that for you you know because it's a real privilege when when people open their lives to you yeah yeah that's so beautiful okay where have you experienced god in gatherings 
Um, you know, I think it's really in um, just the the one on one conversations. You know, I learn so much from people, and um, you know, there's one uh, bit of information that I've learned recently that is just mind boggling. So I guess this fact that our brain takes in 11 million pieces of information in one second. Oh. 11 million in one second, but it can only consciously process, or even unconsciously, it can only process 40 pieces at a second. So like all that extra, like basically that's why we are biased. You know, it's from this book I'm reading, um, Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias. Um, but you know, we we have bias because we're trying to make sense of this flood of info that's always coming into all of our senses you know and um so yeah one thing sorry go back to the question again yeah. I'm trying to... uh, where have you experienced god in gatherings okay yeah so uh one thing that i experience in gatherings is personally working on my own bias you know like i i don't see labels as much as i see the person and you know especially the more the more time I spend with people. You know, one thing I've read is all of these labels that we put on people are typically not the full story. And often our assumptions of people are actually wrong. So starting from the very basic, you know, who are you and getting to know people, like I, mm. I think that's how I experience yeah. God. And yeah, thank you so much. Is there anything you weren't able to say that you wanted to say? Um, you know, no, I think that's that's pretty much. Oh it. well, thank you for sharing, Ming. Is um, yeah, before you we clap, Ming is actually hosting uh, a Thanksgiving lunch, right? Yes. yes, and anyone is welcome. Um, so how do people get more information? Um, so you can email me, uh, or actually just talk to me after church. I'm with my three kids here today, so in other words, I'll be chasing them down. <laughs> so I'll be around. Um, otherwise, it's in the bulletin too that um, my email. And you can just contact me. Yeah, feel free to come. I live in Torrance, and it's a backyard lunch um, potluck. Great. So. Thank you so Thank much. You. <laughs> oh, yes. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, it was really fun chatting with Ming and just hearing her heart for um, hospitality. And yeah, just as an outflowing, like overflowing of who she is. It was just really beautiful to learn from that. Um, and I think one of the things that Ming is so great at and has discovered in her story is the sense of belonging. She's finding this ability to be confident in who she is and also be able to share that with others so they can feel like they belong. So in this season, right, this is a week that's packed for many. Some of you might feel lonely. Some of you might feel like you've got more to give. Let's come back to belonging. Belonging is at the heart of what we do. Imagine Jesus sitting at the table with tax collectors and misfits, <laughs> right? Imagine your favorite gathering you've ever been to. What were you feeling? How did you feel safe? How can you extend that this week? How can we as a community reclaim that we belong, that you are at Jesus's table, that you matter, that you do not have to change yourself. And in fact, you coming and your raw whateverness is beautiful and good. <laughs>